Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kieran Mulvaney. Eric, let me be the first to share this news with the world. Um, after 187 episodes, including this one of the Showtime Boxing Podcast, a similar number with HBO, uh, of course, all your ring theory appearances with Bill Detloff, you have announced that you are going to be retiring from boxing podcasting. And I love the fact that you left at the top after, in fact, people wrote you off, probably about 400 episodes after people wrote you off. But you stuck there <laughs> and you made it. And well, obviously, you're not the goat, but you could be the scoat or the to goat. You're up there. And I've been there with you. For a lot of it and eric it's it's just been an honor man it's been an honor uh i'm not sure what either scout or to goat stands for second greatest or third greatest ah, okay all right that makes sense all right Which but uh, just made up all right let me let me uh let me just step in here hold hold, hold on a second here uh okay. you, you you probably heard that from some unnamed sources which Come on, no, no reader should ever trust and the unnamed sources or listen for that matter um so so let me set the record straight uh with a prepared statement <clears throat> okay I understand the advanced speculation about my future without getting into the accuracy or inaccuracy of what's being reported. I will be the only person to express my plans with complete accuracy. So there you have it, Kieran. I'm I'm not retiring from podcasting, but I'm also not not retiring from podcasting. I just I just have to check with myself and then I'll get back to you with an official statement (laughs) on top of the official statement I just provided. But until then, I am neither retired nor not retired. Okay? Clear? Yes, you've got to check with your image consultants, your agents, your general manager. I have none of these things. <laughs> well, it should be very easy then. Right. One, one <laughs> thing I can promise, uh, two years into the global pandemic, I am under no circumstances retiring to spend more time with my family. <laughs> should, should I retire from the podcast? Which again, I'm not, but I'm also not not. not. Should I retire? I will definitely have a better reason than that. I, I might be retiring from the podcast to spend more time with Giselle Bunchen. Can't rule that possibility uh, out. There you go. I, yeah, I would love for somebody to, to say they're retiring to spend less time with their family. Just <laughs> right. to say it. Right. <laughs> of course, yes. we're recording this on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. By the time you all listen to this on Monday morning, there could be so many more twists and turns in the Is Tom Brady Retired saga. Who knows? Right. right. But, but anyway. uh, yes, the, the important thing is with both Tom Brady and with me, you don't know it until you hear it from the horse's mouth. Exactly. Or the goat's mouth. <laughs> right. Or the to goat or scoat or whatever. <laughs> exactly. All right. Let's move on. Um, this week on what may or may not be Eric's final boxing podcast, <laughs> we will talk about big news running the gamut from a record-setting heavyweight title purse bid uh, to a super flyweight fight shakeup to one of the biggest women's fights ever signed, perhaps the biggest women's fight ever signed. Uh, We will preview a busy upcoming Saturday that includes the return of Keith Thurman and a rematch between two of the elite veteran super flyweights. Eric will count down the top five defining fights of the career of arguably a top five all-time heavyweight, Larry Holmes. But we begin the show with this week's guest. He's one of the most exciting young fighters in the sport today. Uh, we last saw him on Showtime comfortably outpointing Tuxtot Nyambayar in July. And he'll be headlining on Showtime Championship Boxing on February 26th when he takes his 16-0 record into the ring against Roger Gutierrez. Chris Colbert, 
welcome back to the Showtime Boxing Podcast. It's a pleasure to have Thank you. Having me, man. I, I love y'all, man. I appreciate y'all for having me. Well, we appreciate you uh, joining us this week. And, you know, often when we interview someone heading into a fight, we open with a question about their upcoming opponent and, and what they think of them. But I saw that you said during a media conference call the other day that you've never watched Roger Gutierrez fight. Is that right? You've never seen a single fight of his? I, I turned the fight on one time and he threw a punch uh, and it looked nasty. So I turned it off right away. <laughs> Really? That's it. One one punch was all you needed to see, huh? <laughs> do, do you have any plans to watch some more of him over, over these next few weeks before the fight? Or are you have you seen enough? No, nah, I, I mean, I've seen enough. But uh, to be honest, I feel like there's no opponent. There's no fighter in the world could come in here and do what they did to their last opponent and try to fight me the same way. So there's no real way of training for me. It's like you can't adapt to the style that I bring to the, to the ring. I mean, I feel like I'm a human adapter. Um, I'll be able to uh, be ready for whatever he brings to the table. Like I said on, on PBC, on the press conference yesterday, he better have the Mack truck because I'm coming. <laughs> um, but it does seem like, you know, he's been paying attention to you. Uh, he said something to the effect oh, he- of, uh, uh, your best weapon is your mouth, he says. Uh, when you hear him say that, do you just smile to yourself and take that as a compliment because it means you're good at selling your fights? I mean... My mouth, no homo, got me to where I am today. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm here, 16 and 0, fighting for the world title with 17 fights. One of the hottest prospects, I mean, one of the hottest um, superstars in the game right now. And I'm blessed. Um, shout out to Al Heyman, shout out to PBC, shout out to Showtime, Fox, everybody that had um, some type of um, part of my career to get to me to where I am today. I appreciate everybody help. And this is just the beginning. Like, we we we, we about to take off. So, so one other thing that you said on that call was that if Gutierrez can't put you on your bike, he's going to be in trouble. That's in interesting. Tr- yeah, that's that's interesting. It sounds to me like maybe you're you're daring him to come at you, like you want him to be aggressive. Am I reading that statement correctly? Yeah. Ba- no, basically what I'm saying is if he can't punch hard enough, like if he don't got that one punch knockout power to have me move it, He's in trouble because I'm gonna I'm gonna step into him. Like yeah, I see the fight when I fought um um Jamie Alberletta. I didn't I I told y'all what I was gonna do and I went in and I did it right. That's how I'm coming this fight. I'm not coming in there to play around. I want to get the job done. I don't want to leave it in the judges' hands or nothing. I want I want to I want to make sure I clean. Even though I'm not yes, they say I'm not known for my power. If if it come down to me going 12 rounds, I'm still gonna dominate him. But I don't want to go 12 rounds. As far as his power, is is that actually something that you that you like to to feel? You know, feel take a punch maybe early in the fight love, and see what the guys got. I love fighting people that they say got big power with big records with twenty three rec twenty three wins twenty knockouts. Ooh, that shit, shit sounds it sounds scary. So I know he's gonna be expecting to use that power. That's what he said. That's his his strength, his power. But he's gonna need more than power to beat me. A hook and a right hand ain't gonna do it. Um. Let's go back to your most recent fight. You were first time headlining a Showtime Championship boxing card when you beat Tugnai Ambayar in, in lopsided fashion. Uh, I said on our post-fight podcast, you strike me as the kind of boxer who's only going to perform better as the quality of your opposition gets better. Is that how you see it, that the better the competition, the better you're going to be? 100%. Um, I feel like I haven't seen the best of myself yet. The world haven't seen the best of me yet, so... As they keep stepping me up, um, 
is going to be get even better. I don't think this is a step up from Tombstone Tug fight, the Tug fight, King Tug fight. I don't think it's a step up, but uh, at the end of the day, I got a job to do. That's the win, and that's the win by any means necessary. Um, so, so what struck me in that fight against Nyambayar was your jab. Um, and I said on our podcast right afterwards that it just might be the best jab in all of boxing right now when you really get into your groove with it. Um, you know, 7-Eleven, and it's always open 24-7. It's always <laughs> once this once this start moving, it's over. There's no stopping it. Okay. <laughs> so, so when, uh, when, when Kieran mentioned uh, earlier about um, Gutierrez saying your best weapon is your mouth, um, is your jab, in fact, what you would consider your best weapon or, or is it something else? hundred percent. I mean, not only my jab, listen, I, my, I, my weapon list go long. My arsenal is long. I, speed, um, reflexes, accuracy, the jab, the sneaky, but I, I Name him. What can you not name that I have? I showed y'all. I showed y'all I could punch. I knocked out Red Bum Beltran in one round. Put him to sleep cold. I stopped Jamie Arletta. I stopped, um, what's his name? He, he, his record, he went downhill after I beat him. He was undefeated. Okay. I fought him in Minnesota. Stopped him. He had an unbeaten record. He was like 11 and 09 knockouts. Like everybody. Oh, yeah. Austin Dulay. Yeah. Austin Dulay. Um, Titus Williams, I dropped him. He's supposed to be a punch or two in his record. That's what it indicated. But, like, every time it's time for those type of fights where they say they big punches or step-ups, what I do to them? I dominate them. Hmm. Nothing less from this fight, to be honest. Right. So, you mentioned this already. You're challenging for a major title in this fight. You currently have an interim title. You know, Eric and I were not, like, necessarily the biggest fans of the alphabet groups and the alphabet belts, but we're not the ones in there taking the punches and fighting for the title. You are. So what does it mean for you to be challenging for a major title belt right now? Um, um, to be honest, to me, it's just, I feel like it's another day, another dollar because expectations, expectations. I have expectations. The, the name Prime Times, that fits you. The Ian, and Prime, the, the Ian Prime stands for expectation. That's the expectation for me. I knew I was going to be a world champion. It was just a matter of time when it was going to happen. And the time is now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know that you've uh, been calling out Gary Russell Jr. as a potential future opponent. Um, I want him next. Next. Okay. So um, I, I'd be curious for your analysis of what went wrong for Gary Russell last week. What Was it the injury? Was it inactivity? Was it age? Was um, it Mark Magsaya? What What were you seeing in that fight? To be honest, Gary Russell was a hell of a fighter, hell of a champion. Um, we all know. Let's talk boxing here. Let's be realistic. We all know if Gary Russell had two hands, he would have dominated that fight easy. He, the guy barely won, and he had one hand. So I give him, I give credit when the credit is due. Gary Russell was a bad mother, and I think, man, he said he's not moving up to 130 unless he fight for a title, unless he get an opportunity to fight for a title. I'm the WBA super featherweight champion of the world, so let's make it happen. Is it is it disappointing at all for you that he would be that he is coming off this loss that that fight would have been even bigger if he had beaten Megsayo? Nah, because I already knew I already knew what he was. I know what he what he capable of capable of. Know what how the fight would have went if he had two hands. So I don't really look at it no way. All right, final question for you. A nice, simple, easy one. Folks are going to be tuning in on February twenty sixth to watch you, and Roger Gutierrez. What are they going to see? Domination, domination. Uh, like I said, if he better have the Mack truck because I'm coming and I'm, I'm stepping on it. And don't be surprised if I if I knock this guy out. 
I'm gonna treat him like the kid is like he said like that. That's what he called himself, Robert the kid, whatever Robert, whatever Roger the kid. I'm gonna treat him like the kid he is. Come um February 26th. In the battle of nicknames, the prime time definitely is <laughs> definitely greater than the kid. No question about yeah, it. But, but you, you hear that slogan? It's prime time on Showtime. Like how can y'all not say that? Come on. Chris Colbert, one of the best young barkers in the game and one of the best young interviews, too. We really appreciate it, man. You are great to have on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. Uh, uh, thanks again there to Chris Colbert. He's really just such an incredibly engaging guy, yeah. isn't he? Yeah. Um, it's funny. I was just thinking we're, we're, we're lucky. There's a whole bunch of young fighters who, who we've had on the podcast who are as good at interviewing as boxing almost. You know, you've got Colbert, Steph Fulton, Ray Salim, mm-hmm. Brandon Lee, Brandon Figueroa. I'm probably forgetting somebody. but Yeah, we're... the list goes on and on. It does seem like uh, it's been a long time since we got off the, the phone or Zoom uh, with, a, with a boxer and said, eh, he was kind of dull, wasn't he? <laughs> <They're>, they've <laughs> all been really good. Seriously. I don't know that any of them are quite up to miss for well, Gary Russell standards, right. but, you know. They're getting there. They're getting there. All right. Let's move on to the week's news. Uh, We're actually going to approach the news segment a bit differently this week. Instead of a main event and an undercard, uh, what we have is three almost equally major and intriguing stories. So we'll do a televised triple header of news. Then we'll finish with a quick untelevised undercard, which will include some brief fight recaps as well. Recaps of fights that were, in fact, televised. But they're landing on our untelevised undercard. Confused? (laughs) You won't be after this week's episode of Soap. (laughs) <laughs> ah, a little throwback humor for my fellow old people there. So, um, I love soap. Did you ever watch that? Is that before your time? I am aware of it. I don't believe I've ever seen a full episode. Yeah. All right. Anyway, well, I, I found it amusing, so that's what's important. <laughs> uh, anywho, let's start with one of those three big news items, and it is the biggest in more ways than one. After multiple delays, the purse bid for Tyson Fury's mandatory heavyweight title defense against Dillian White finally happened on Friday. Eddie Hearn's matchroom boxing bid $32 million, but that was topped by Frank Warren's Queensbury Promotions $41 million bid, uh, the largest purse bid in boxing history, breaking the record set in 1990 by the Evander Holyfield Buster Douglas fight. A Fury gets 80% of that, or $32.8 million, leaving $8.2 million for White. Uh, it's looking like the fight will be on ESPN pay-per-view here in the States, possibly on April 23rd. Uh, Eric, any reaction to the size of that winning bid? And where are you positioned on that line between excited for the fight and just glad this whole negotiating process is over? Well, taking the the second question first, while I think this fight is just fine, I, I, I like it, I do think I'm positioned a little closer to the glad the process is over side. This had dragged on long enough. It, it's just not a huge enough fight that the boxing world should be spending months on end updating the progress. But I do like the fight. Um, I guess I can't quite say I'm excited for it at the moment, but I think when they're making their ring walks, I'll get more fired up. You know, like Dillian White, eh, he's not on Fury's level, but he's dangerous enough that when the opening bell rings, I'll be on the edge of my seat waiting to see if he can get some business done. As for the size of the bid... I find this stuff pretty interesting. These blind bids, it's mm. its a form of gambling. And, and you know I like gambling. You have no idea how much it's going to take. I find it kind of amusing that Frank Warren wins this, but could have won it for $8.5 million less. <laughs> um, in the end, both boxers get a purse they should probably be thrilled with. Um, I am curious how it will do on pay-per-view in the U.S. Mm. This is a test of whether Tyson Fury is really a superstar here. But I assume with all the British money 
Queensberry Promotions will make out okay, despite paying $41 million to the fighters. Uh, but most of all, I'm glad Triller didn't swoop in with a winning bid and screw everything up. <laughs> Worst case scenario has been avoided here. Indeed. Uh, for our next news item, we follow the biggest purse bid ever with quite possibly the biggest and best female fight ever. We've spoken about this a few times in recent weeks as something that was probably happening, but now it's official. Katie Taylor versus Amanda Serrano for all the lightweight marbles in the big room at Madison Square Garden on April 30th. Kieran, what does this mean for women's boxing? And a lot of people are giving Jake Paul, who is playing a promotional role in this event, a lot of people are giving him credit for making this happen by putting Serrano on his undercards. Does he deserve that credit? Uh, to take the Jake Paul question first, um, so I've no idea to what extent the Serrano's promoter he was involved in in the intricacies of making this happen, um, and it's also not as if this wouldn't have happened without him. The two had actually come to an agreement or were very close to an agreement a few years back before right. Serrano pulled out, but he must have helped in the sense that look, Taylor was already a bona fide star in the UK and Ireland has been for years, but Serrano's. Was, was only known to the hardcores over here. And that has to have changed, um, you know, thanks to his supporting her career and putting her on his cards. Um, you know, and so it adds that extra incentive, knowing that Serrano brings more to the table now, that there's, you know, there's more money there. There's a greater financial inducement to, to both women to make it happen. Uh, I think the way that he's really going to help is now that the fight's been signed at the build-up to it, he is going to be out there promoting this fight in his own unique way. He'll be all over social media and conventional media. He'll have no hesitation about doing interviews to support her. Uh, he's already out there, right? Bob Arum, who is planning on, on promoting uh, Shakur Stevenson and Oscar Valdez on the same day, was out just the other day making a very RMS comment, ah, people don't care about women's boxing. Um and Paul just came out swinging and just basically called Bob Aram a dinosaur and talked up uh, women's boxing. And and the more that Aram tries to diminish this card to promote his own, uh, the more that Jake Paul's going to do just that all over okay. and over again. I mean, this, this is going to be a really good uh, way for us to, to get a sense of the extent to which Jake Paul is or is not able to bring his self-marketing abilities to boxing in general, as opposed to just specifically his own events. Um, so that's going to be really interesting. Uh, it will help. I think you'll help make this fight be as big as it deserves to be. And, and, and it's immense for women's boxing. It's two of the three best boxers pound for pound on the female side. And they're squaring off. And that's huge. Um, look, you could argue that Layla Ali against Jackie Fraser lied was like a bigger cultural event. But of course, it was nowhere near as significant as a contest. Right. Christy Martin, Lucia Riker, I think, had actually been signed uh, and then just fell through through injury. You know, had that been been promoted, um, had it actually happened, you could argue that that was still stood as the, as the biggest women's fight to ever take place, but it didn't. And so I think that's what we have here. It, it's yeah. the biggest women's fight that's yet been made, um, assuming that it does go ahead. And you just can't say enough about the fact, like as you already noted, it's not just taking place. It's taking place at the big room at Madison Square Garden. That's yeah. the mecca of boxing. Uh, and they are also, they're the perfect fan bases for that. Ireland against Puerto Rico in New York City. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's really huge. And I think that everybody involved uh, deserves a great deal of credit. And not only that, it's a pick and fight. Yep. So, so, yeah, I think it's just fantastic news all the way around. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. And, of course, being boxing. 
it has to go up against Shakur Stevenson against Oscar Valdez. <laughs> but that's another story. But all right. Uh, the last of our three major news items concerns a big fight in one of the smaller divisions. We've been eagerly anticipating the scheduled March 5th uh, fight between Chocolatito Gonzalez and Juan Francisco Estrada. But Estrada caught COVID. Uh, remains symptomatic, uh, has been really struggling in his training, apparently, and he had to withdraw from the fight. And almost immediately after that news came out, Gonzalez signed to fight highly regarded flyweight titleist Julio Cesar Martinez of Mexico instead. Eric, walk me through your brief roller coaster of emotions regarding one fight falling out and the other replacing it. Yeah, it was indeed a brief roller coaster because as soon as I heard, uh oh, looks like Estrada is out. Already it was being floated that Martinez might replace him, and then like two hours later it was confirmed. So the roller coaster was a quickie, but uh, the emotions, you can probably guess. I was really looking forward to Chocolatito Estrada 3, so I was bummed and also concerned for Estrada. Sounds like he is not having the easiest bout with COVID. I I hope he's vaccinated. I don't know. Um, But then the replacement fight, we went from an A-plus to an a it's yeah. almost as good. I'm 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 good with this. Martinez, I'm I'm not as sold on him as some people are, but clearly he's talented, he's exciting, he has his own style. He's almost a decade younger than Chocolatito. Um even though he's the one moving up in weight here, he has fought at 115 before. This is a really good fight. So, huge credit to both boxers, especially Chocolatito. Um he's not at a point in his career where he needs to put it on the line yeah. against a young guy. Martinez, you know, it makes total sense for him to jump at this chance, you know, dream opportunity to make a name for himself and put a future Hall of Famer on his resume if he prevails. But Chocolatito, the risk-reward equation is debatable, but he doesn't care. Uh, he, he's yeah. always been willing to fight everybody, and uh, he's showing that again here. Yeah, agreed. Okay, now for that untelevised news undercard. Uh, Some fight results first. 46-year-old Sergio Martinez continued his comeback with a 10-round decision win over Macaulay McGowan. Robson Concesao handed 130-pound prospect Xavier Martinez his first defeat uh, by wide unanimous decision, overcoming getting rocked by a left hook at the end of the third round to dominate most of the rest of the fight. And Olunga Makabu retained his cruiserweight belt, and his theoretical chance to face a Canelo Alvarez by winning a 12-round split decision over Tebiso Machuno. Uh, and two fights in the works. Uh, with the charges against him dropped, Raleigh Romero is positioned as a mandatory challenger for Javante Davis, and that fight has been ordered. And Dan Rayfield reports that Teofimo Lopez plans to return from his defeat against George Cambosos with an April or May fight at 140 pounds against Arnold Barboza Jr. Comments, Karen? So Barbosa is a good, solid comeback fight, I think, for uh, Lopez. He's undefeated. A couple of years ago, he stopped the empty shell that once housed Mike Alvarado. And then last year, he's got a pretty good win over Alex Orsido. So he's legit. You'd favor Lopez to, to flatten him because he's the kind of caliber of guy that that Lopez has been flattening uh, uh, up until meeting Cambosis. But for a comeback fight... At a new way, after first pro loss, I think it's pretty solid matchmaking. You could argue the more important issue for Lopez is less who's going to be in the opposite corner, but who's going to be in his corner, of course. That's what he really needs to address going forward, I think. Um, I'm not exactly thrilled that we're going to have to revisit Davis Romero now. Um, We weren't looking forward to it particularly, were we, when it was first announced. And I think the build-up's going to be even nastier than it would have been the first time. Right. Um, I do fully expect Tank to decapitate Raleigh still, and... uh, 
he will be a huge baby face in the promotion, will Tank Davis. Um, I am uncomfortable with Sergio Martinez continuing to box, to put it mildly, but here we are. Um, as for Xavier Martinez, I wouldn't say I exactly fell in love with him in his showbox days, but I very much fell in like-like with him. And <laughs> right. Well, it's it's far, far too early to write him off. There's no shame at all in losing to Concisau. It is beginning to appear, and we've begin to th- begun to think this a little bit with his couple of other fights, that maybe he may not have quite the ceiling that, that I certainly thought he would have when we were watching them on Showbox. And I would care a lot more about the Makabu result if Keith Eider hadn't come on the show a few weeks back and just dumped all over the idea of him actually being remotely in line to face Canelo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the, the Romero-Davis thing, uh, it just... It, I remember when it was signed the first time and we sort of we're looking forward to the buildup like, Oh, these guys are going to talk this up and, yeah. and have some fun. And it just, it has taken that little turn where it could now, now I'm having like fears of a Pauly Broner type of buildup. And uh, yep. that was, I think it, that was, we can all agree that crossed the line from, from fun to just unpleasant and nasty. And this has similar potential, unfortunately, but the, you know, they will, they will be out there doing their best to sell the fight, uh, whether by going lowest common denominator or not. Yep, indeed. All right, it is time now for the Tweet of the Week. Uh, It's my turn to pick it, and it's a pretty obvious choice this week. I'm sure you saw this, Kieran. It was getting shared on everyone's Twitter feed on Friday. The tweet comes from boxing journalist Michael Benson, uh, but it really has nothing to do with him. It was him sharing a video from cruiserweight Myris Bredis, which has been viewed over 120,000 times as of this podcast recording. Uh, The tweet says... Myris Bradis has now dropped a diss track to call out Jake Paul. And then there's a video that's just under a minute long. Uh, you've seen it, I'm sure, Kieran. Uh, so I don't, I don't need to send it to you in this case, but I will play it now on the podcast. Here it is. Uh, the best boxer on the planet is? Jake Paul. Why? I mean, who's doing it? And I'm going to prove that. You know, that's the beautiful thing about this is I'm going to become a world champion because everyone said I couldn't and that I wasn't a real boxer. Hey Jake, how about the real man's fight? I will put my belts on table, do you wanna take a bite? Looks like you're scared, you little bitch boy. Kid, pick up the phone and put down your toys. Looks like you have a little monkey balls. Only hanging around with the porn half dolls. Oh, I'm sorry, I guess that was your girl. She tried to find her nuts like a little girl. I promise I will shut your dirty little mouth. I play with you one round and I knock you out. I will show the world that your fights was set up. I punch you so hard that you won't be able to get up. So I don't know if I love this or I hate this. I mean, it's terrible. But it's also very entertaining. It's, uh, I'd say it's the best worst boxing rap since y'all must have forgot. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's kind of pathetic from Breitas. Nothing worse than being a tryhard these days. Um, I love the broken English, like, you yes. won't be able to get up. That's a great line. Um, obviously, looks like you have little monkey balls is the most <laughs> memorable line. And I will be incorporating that into my everyday conversations. Um so, you know, I, I mean, I was thinking about tweet of the week doesn't have to mean best tweet. It can just mean right. most notable tweet. And and this was definitely that. So, uh, Kieran, your thoughts on the hip hop stylings of Myris Briatus. Oh, I love everything about this. Okay. I think it's great. <laughs> I mean, first of all, in, in an ironic way, I, I hasten to point out, but... First of all, I don't think anyone would ever have thought to put the names Myris Briatus and Jake Paul together. Right. And... 
this is no more likely to put them in the ring together. (laughs) But I love the fact that Bradis thought, hell, I should be fighting Jake Paul, as I'm sure a lot of cruiserweights and light heavyweights and basically anybody with a pulse um, has been thinking. But whereas everyone else has just been ah, calling him out uh, with a with a with a tweet or or saying something about wanting to fight Jake Paul in an interview, only Bradis thought, you know what I gotta do? <laughs> I gotta record this track in yes. bad English and went ahead <laughs> and did it and embraced it. Um, I would go one better than you. I think this is without question the absolute best this track ever produced in English by a boxer from Latvia. I don't think there's <laughs> any question about that. And Bradis will always have that now. Um, yeah, beyond all that, I'm not entirely certain what to say, but yeah, yeah I kind of love it. Can you do a spontaneous top five countdown of the greatest diss tracks by Latvian boxers uh, in English? I, I, I could, but, um, you know, the names are going to be so unfamiliar to everybody else right, that, right. that it was just, it was just going to take up like, like a lot of time really. Um, so I just, I just prefer not to go there. Maybe. Okay. All right. Well, uh, you, you may want to start thinking about it cause that, I'm, I'm giving you your <laughs> next assignment now. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, if, if I do happen to retire from podcasting uh, mm-hmm. after this show, and I'm not saying I am, uh, I'm not saying I'm not, but if I do, are you going to record a diss track about me? What is there to this? Uh, <laughs> that is the correct answer. <laughs> um, despite Myris Bradis's best efforts, I think we can all agree Jake Paul versus Bradis is probably never going to happen. Um, but let's talk about some fights that are. Um, we have a busy Saturday night ahead of us. Three notable cards coming up on February 5th. Let's start with the Fox pay-per-view from Las Vegas. Four fights headlined by Keith Thurman versus Mario Barrios at welterweight. Also on the card, featherweights, Leo Santa Cruz versus Keenan Carbajal, junior feathers, Luis Neri versus Carlos Castro, and junior middleweights, Jesus Ramos versus Vladimir Hernandez, which moved onto the pay-per-view portion of the card on short notice after Josecito Lopez withdrew with an injury. Uh, Thurman and Barrios are both coming off high-profile defeats. Barrios is in a thriller against Javante Davis. Whereas Thurman's last fight was his loss to Manny Pacquiao about two and a half years ago. Uh, Kieran, what's your level of interest in Thurman right now and, and in this matchup? And is there anyone on the undercard who stands out? So I have no intention of spending $70 or whatever it is on this pay-per-view. And it's a pity that it is on pay-per-view because I'm actually a little bit intrigued by this main event. Mm-hmm. Um uh, I, I like Barrios as a fighter. Uh, I, I thought it was kind of a 50-50 fight going in against Davis, as I recall. Um, and I thought he fought tremendously well until Tank broke through. You, you wonder how a 140-pounder who was knocked out by a 135-pounder will fare against a 147-pounder, but Thurman just really hasn't had a great deal of power since he himself moved up from, from 140. And and I do wonder if he'll still have the speed and the strength you know, to defeat uh, uh, the younger guy. And, and Barrios is pretty tall for a 140-pounder, too. I think he'll, he'll match up pretty well physically. You know, you, you mentioned there was... Two and a half years ago, almost, that he fought Manny Pacquiao, Keith Thurman. He's mm. had two fights in five years. Um, mm. And he hasn't looked good in victory since beating Danny Garcia back in 2017. Um, I've always liked Thurman. Uh, he's an interesting cat. I'll, I'll never forget spending Saturday afternoon with him in Cincinnati when he was the co-main for Adrian Bronner against Vicente Escobedo. And there was no certainty at all that the card would even go ahead because of Bronner's spectacularly poor attempts to make way. Right. And um, and it was really most folks' first exposure to him. He was this unknown guy who knocked out Orlando Laura and promptly called out Floyd Mayweather and instantly 
became a t- total heel because of the just the the sheer chutzpah of it. Right. Um, but he's always been a good talker, and he's been a very good fighter. He's always come to fight. He's always been entertaining. Um, I just don't know that he has enough left. Uh, um, I remain, I think, probably much more interested at this stage in Barrios. This is a risk for him. One loss to a very good fighter is fine. But if you had to suffer back-to-back defeats, especially against a guy who hasn't had a win in a number of years, hasn't looked good for longer, um, and is kind of broken physically... You know, then he'll need some rebuilding, Barrios, mm-hmm. if he were to lose this fight as a boxer and an attraction. But if he pulls it off, he, he's got potential to really put himself in the mix with some of the crop of great young welterweights that's emerging there. So um, really big risk reward, I think, for Mario Barrios here. Uh, as for some of the other fights on the card, uh, I like Castro as a comeback opponent for Luis Neri, too. Undefeated, coming off a solid win over es- Escandon. Like Neri, a relatively recent recruit to featherweight ranks after a career spent mostly at 122. Um... I must confess, I know nothing about Keenan Carbajal, and looking at his record doesn't provide much elucidation at all. Uh, but I am just happy to see Leo Santa Cruz back. Yeah, and uh, I just want to uh, give you a, a quick pat on the back for proper use of the word chutzpah. Uh, ah, well, thank you. Well delivered. Uh, you uh, you have earned uh, temporary honorary Jew status. Uh, you have 24 hours. I'll uh, I'll claim you as a member of the tribe. Why? Thank you very much, sir. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, are there benefits? Uh, the jokes. The jokes. Oh, yes. <laughs> Just like Tim Watley. Go Jewish That's for right. the jokes. There you go. There you go. Uh, also on Saturday from Phoenix, we have the rematch between Carlos Quadras and Srisaket Sorongvisai, uh, nearly eight years after Quadras won their first meeting by technical decision. And then in Cardiff, Wales, just across the uh, Bristol Channel from my hometown, it is Chris Eubank Jr. versus Liam Williams atop the card, and Clarissa Shields versus Emma Cozen in the co-feature, and Clarissa's first boxing match in 11 months. Eric, you talk sometimes about fights with DVR and watch the next morning, perhaps fast-forwarding versus fights that are appointment viewing. Which of these three fights are appointment viewing for you and which might get the DVR treatment. Well, you know uh, all about my affection for the top super flies, so, so. it should come as no surprise. Quadras Risiket 2 is the one I'm making the biggest effort to watch live. Not only is it an excellent fight, but I'm legit curious to see what either of them has left, how much either might pose a threat still to Estrada or Chocolatito, uh, and I'm pulling a little bit for Quadras to get the win, just so he doesn't go down in history as the clear yeah. number four of this four-man yeah. rivalry, which is which is where he stands now. He's you know 0 2 versus Estrada, 0 1 versus Chocolatito. He has the technical decision win over Strisaket, but that was back before either of them was in yeah. their prime yet. So this is the biggest fight of the night for me, uh, bigger even than Thurman Barrios in, in my mind. Um, Eubank Williams is solid. But if I have something else to do in the late afternoon when it's airing, I'm not shaking up any plans for it. I'll, I'll watch it when I watch it, and it's possible I'll even read the result first. Uh, Clarissa versus Cozen, I'm, I'm always interested in a Clarissa Shields fight. Uh, this one gets an extra layer of intrigue because she needs a statement win to prevent the Taylor Serrano winner from just automatically right. being everyone's easy number one pound for pound. And uh, Cozen does have a great record. She's 21-0. But the opposition has been very soft. So, again, I'll say not quite appointment viewing. I'm interested. I will watch, but I don't have to schedule my Saturday around it. Right. All right. Let's wrap up this podcast with the top five list. Uh, You challenged me last week to count down the top five defining fights in the career 
of one of the all-time heavyweight greats. Some consider him one of the most perennially underrated heavyweight champions. Larry Holmes, the true heavyweight champ of the world throughout the first half of the 80s, making 19 straight successful defenses from 1978 to 85. And here's what's interesting about this assignment. I found it shockingly easy to determine what the top five are. I, I almost don't think there's any serious debate. There's plenty of debate about the order and about what makes a fight defining and how much adversity matters or the quality of the opponent or the fame of the opponent and how much all that stuff factors in, you know, is uh, kind of tricky in terms of figuring out which fight is more defining than another. Mm -hmm. But I went through Holmes's record and five fights jumped out at me as clearly the five fights that most define his career and his greatness. So I'm barely going to bother with honorable mentions with this list. Sure. I, I will touch on them briefly at the end, but I, I don't have to spend much time on it because I don't think anything from number six on down deserved much consideration for the top five. We'll see if you uh, agree you with me You know what's interesting is I have the exact same opinion going <laughs> okay. into this. All right. And I'm be very curious if we're both convinced that there were only five fights to consider and we don't come up with the same one so <laughs> right I'm, yeah okay i'm very i'm really interested to hear you say that all right let's see if we have indeed all the same five i'd be i would be surprised if we not only have the i'd be a bit surprised if we had any different fights in here but i would uh also be surprised if we have the exact same order i feel like there's got to be some difference in the order yeah. we put them in so anyway at number five we go back to September 28th, 1979 in Las Vegas, Holmes's fourth title defense, a fight most famous for one moment that nearly ended Holmes's reign. It was the fight against Ernie Shavers, their second fight, as Holmes had decision Shavers over 12 rounds in 1978 in a title eliminator. Shavers, of course, one of the hardest, if not the hardest puncher in heavyweight history, floored Holmes with a perfect right hand to the jaw in round seven. Very few fighters get up from that, Yeah, but Holmes did. He was badly hurt. He showed tremendous survival instincts to duck and dodge and eventually punch back a little and survive the round. And then he took back over again and stopped Shavers in the 11th. Uh, Sports Illustrated put it on the cover with the headline, Can't Keep a Good Man Down. Hmm. It was a, a defining moment for Holmes where he showed his heart and toughness and savvy you will rarely see a more pronounced example of a boxer overcoming adversity to win. It's right up there with Chico Corrales in the 10th round against Castillo or Gaddy against Wilson Rodriguez. That could be another top five list. I probably shouldn't spoil it all. Um, <laughs> yeah, it would be, yes. <laughs> but uh, anyway, Holmes Shavers 2, that is number five on my list of the defining Larry Holmes fights. That's a terrible number five. I have it at number four. <laughs> all right. So we've uh, you've proven re right my prediction that we wouldn't agree on the exact order of all of these, at least. Yeah. But yeah, I, I vaguely remember some quote from Ernie Shavers. Something to the effect of like he was used to, as you said, putting people down and, and them staying there. Uh -huh. And something to the effect of like when I, when I saw him get up and kind of shake his head and, and get back up, I thought, uh-oh. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, Holmes had a legendarily uh, good recuperative powers, and I think this was really what the the exemplar of that. Yeah. All right. Uh, at number four, I think it's right to include one fight from the Larry Holmes comeback years because he did have a heck of a second run, even if it was overshadowed by George Foreman's. And no question what the highlight of that run was for Larry. Uh, February 7th, 1992, uh, which means the 30th anniversary of this fight is just a few days away. Oh, yeah. 
Um, in Atlantic City, his upset 12-round decision win over undefeated Ray Mercer. Holmes was 42 years old and a 4-1 to underdog, and he said after the fight that he even fought with a detached retina. Uh, he used a rope-a-dope strategy of sorts, back to yeah. the ropes, counter-punching, letting Mercer tire himself out, and that's exactly what happened, and the old man won a clear-cut decision and earned a title shot against Evander Holyfield, and he did okay in that fight, too. Yeah. Um, I would call the Holyfield loss the second most defining fight of the later Larry Holmes years, but the top performance of his 40s clearly is this one against Mercer. Again, terrible, terrible <laughs> ranking. Um, clearly the number three oh, okay. on the list, as far as I'm concerned. Wonderful performance. I mean, just absolutely... Holmes using all his his expertise, his you know his knowledge that he'd accumulated over the years to just be wonderfully relaxed there in the ring mm-hmm. and yeah i also had the note the, the note you know that he, he basically rope doped his way to, to victory mercer let us not forget was undefeated going into this and uh and yeah he had some losses and he had you know the embarrassment against jesse ferguson but he would end up going on several years later to give lennox lewis the fight of his life mm-hmm. and, and give plenty of other people really tough fights and uh and holmes just absolutely gave him a boxing lesson wonderful performance yeah all right, so my next one here, this one was kind of tough to place, and so I'm guessing maybe this is your number five. I could see some people maybe making a case for this at number one. I could also see people arguing that it was such an easy fight that it doesn't belong on the list at all. I'm putting it at number three, October 2nd, 1980, KO10 Muhammad Ali. In so many ways, having to follow Ali as heavyweight champ defined Larry Holmes's career. This was his chance to grab the torch directly. It did not make him any more beloved, certainly. Uh, but in the ring, Larry did what he had to do. He dominated and became the only opponent to stop Ali. The fight itself was not competitive. It wasn't entertaining. It's not something I recommend watching. But it yeah. was such an important fight for Holmes for both positive and negative reasons. Yeah, I did put it at number five. Okay. And, and I kind of had to like detach the emotions associated with it to actually place it properly because Mm -hmm. this was about how Larry Holmes performed in the ring and not about what the occasion meant and all of that. And it was very, it was such an unpleasant experience toward the end uh, that it's, it's easy to try and want to forget it. Right. But, you know, Holmes went in and he had a job that he had to do. And not only that, he did it extremely well while actually pulling a lot of the punches toward the end, mm-hmm. um, trying his best not to hurt Ali. Not the only time in his career that he would actually try to get a fight stopped so he didn't have to, to punish punish someone anymore. I, I put it down at number five simply because still I couldn't completely detach myself from the emotions right. of it. Uh but in terms of Larry Holmes doing what he had to do, it has to be up there. Yeah. Okay, the top two, I kept flip-flopping on which order to put these in. It was really tough. Um, mm. But at number two, I'm going with the fight that Rich Murata talked about last week yep. that inspired you to make this assignment. June 11th, 1982, KO13, Jerry Cooney at Caesars Palace Outdoor Arena in Las Vegas. It was the biggest event of Holmes's career, bigger even than fighting Muhammad Ali, I'd say. Uh, for the mainstream sports fan, it's the fight he's best remembered for. This was a massive global event. The black versus white factor was, unfortunately, central to the promotion. The world stopped to pay attention to this one, and then the fight delivered for the most part. Uh, Cooney was right in the fight, 
getting stuff done, making it close, but couldn't land those big punches that he did uh, against Norton and Lyle. And eventually, Holmes's skill and experience told, and Cooney's corner threw in the towel in the 13th round. A very good fight. An outstanding win for Holmes over a dangerous fighter who... All right, maybe he wasn't quite worthy of the hype he was getting, Mm. but he certainly was a good heavyweight title challenger. But above all, just a massive event, a top two defining fight for Holmes, in my view. Yeah, I think we're going to have the same top two then, because I also do have this at number two. Um, Yeah, uh, it's difficult for us, I think, to really, and obviously I was too young to really appreciate it at the time, the amount of hype and unpleasantness associated with it that went into this and i think holmes deserves extra credit for not only the fact that that he took apart a guy who as it turned out delivered a punch much better than he took one Mm. but who nonetheless you know was considered a major a major fighter at the time he had taken out ken norton inside a round he he was obviously a really good fighter and it wasn't just that holmes did the business with Cooney in the ring it was everything else that he had to either shut out or take on board and use to fuel him um and and in some respects this whole notion of having to fight back against such horrible disrespect um was there's a finding nature of larry holmes and for his whole career he felt he was constantly having to prove something and add the the racial component into this as well in a sense this was larry holmes I don't have it at number one, but in a sense, it was his defining performance of his career. Yeah, yeah, that's well said. And and yeah, that's what I really struggled with here. It, it depends how you define defining to decide mm, which of these mm. two to go with. Um, but uh, yeah, that certainly leaves us with the same number one. The best fight of Holmes's career, the one that made him a champion, not the champion just yet, but a champion, a belt holder, June 9th, 1978. That 15-round split decision over Kenny Norton at Caesars Palace. I talked about this when I counted down the greatest heavyweight title fights ever. Some might argue that it wasn't Holmes' best performance. You know, he just barely won against a heavyweight who was a couple of years past his Mm. true prime. But Norton is a Hall of Famer. He was less than two years removed from, in the view of most, getting robbed against Ali for the championship. I think this should be remembered as a great win for Holmes, a pivotal win in allowing him to go on a Hall of Fame run. And, hey, he had some close fights. Nothing wrong with that. He still made it to Um, 48-0. Again, depends on your criteria, whether this fight or the Cooney fight is the defining Larry Holmes fight. But I go with this one against Kenny Norton. Yeah, and I think for I, I was going to make a joke like, oh, you have that. I have KO one Marvis Frazier, but I couldn't possibly <laughs> pull it off. But um, yeah, and I think added to that, and I think that the, the element that people talk about uh, as well with this fight is is the sheer heart and toughness that he showed in that he rallied uh, to take the final round, the final couple rounds. I think with a torn bicep as right, well. He right. was, you know, he was basically a, a one armed fighter by the end, and he still had it in him to get it done uh, against the guy who was certainly rough and tough as, as Ali would certainly uh, testify to. So yeah, I do have this as number one. It was gutsy and determined. And that was the thing with Holmes. Like you said, he did have some, some close fights. It was a pretty decent crop of heavyweights, mostly underachieving heavyweights, but a pretty decent crop nonetheless. And sometimes he just, he had his intelligence. He had his skill. He had his talent. Sometimes he just had to rely on his, on his 
just his his gut to just tough it out, and mm. he almost invariably did. He was a very good and skilled boxer, Larry Holmes, but damn, he was just a he was a hard man as well. Yeah, so interesting that we actually had the exact same list except for the debate over whether where to put the Ali fight, which, yeah. uh, again, I think we both feel was kind of a tricky one to position, but otherwise the order was the same. Um, so, honorable mention, again, I don't think any of these warrant real top five consideration. Obviously, you didn't think so either, but uh, belonging in the next five or so, I'll just list these chronologically, uh, KO12 over Mike Weaver, off the deck KO 11 of Ronaldo Snipes, uh, KO 10, David Bay, maybe the rematch with Michael Spinks, which a lot of people thought Holmes mm. deserved to win, and and the unsuccessful challenge of Holyfield that I mentioned earlier. And and then just missing the cut, the fight with Butterbean when Larry was in his face. Oh, yes. God bless him for doing that. Um, Snipes was the one that was the closest to, to making it to me. It was right. a decent six for me, I thought. Um, sort of sort of a poor man's version of the Shavers fight, where he got off the deck, uh, right. but, but not quite as dramatically and against not quite as good of a fighter and as good of a puncher. So, yeah, picking between those two is pretty easy. Yeah, and what was interesting to me looking through them was I hadn't appreciated how many previously undefeated guys he handed the first L to. Guys who went on to have pretty good careers. Bone Crusher Smith, you mentioned David Bay, Carl the Truth Williams, Tim Witherspoon, Ossie Ocasio. None of those fights were great, but there's a long list of guys who would go on to have belts or, or fight for or sort of be in contention. And Holmes, yeah, they were undefeated and they came up against Holmes and he beat them. Um, not the greatest crop of heavyweights to have to get rid of, but decent and solid. Like I said, that unfortunately, there was a kind of an underachieving generation, but uh, there's a lot of quality in that ring. Yeah, and I think of those names you just mentioned, I think Tim Witherspoon was the best one. And yeah. I, it's the reason that I didn't even put him in my honorable mention is that it's sort of considered an underperformance from from Larry Holmes, that it was a a closer fight than anyone was expecting. So not a great Holmes performance, but yeah, a very good heavyweight who went on to to hold title belts uh, that uh, Larry Holmes dispatched along the way. He has a lot of those, as as you said, a lot of, a lot of wins over good B and B plus heavyweights. um, And it, it makes it, kind of tricky to place him among the all-timers and why there is some debate and why some people say he's underrated and other people say he's overrated. He was on top for such a long time, but you know, we, we counted down his, his signature wins. They don't compare with the the list at the top for an Ali and, uh, and the Holy field and, uh, the, the generations right before and after him. Yeah. I don't know what it says about the quality of this challenge, whether it makes it a good top five list challenge or a bad one that we, both came up not only with the same five, but really couldn't think of any others that would actually get in, replace them. And and like you said, it all basically came down to the positioning of one fight. So right, the perfect top five challenge, or <laughs> try harder next time, Kieran. I'm no, not- I don't. I don't think either. Just sort of an interesting situation where when you look at this particular fighter there happens to be a big drop off between five and six which probably you know it's just a random thing with other fighters you could assign me someone and they'd say oh man it's so obvious what the top seven are but you know this one it just happens that the shelf for him is between number five and number six indeed all right that will do it for this week's episode of showtime boxing with raskin and mulvaney if 
He hasn't, in fact, <laughs> retired. We will be back next week. Only I know. <laughs> only he does, and only he will, will announce it at a time of his choosing. Uh, we will be back next week with our post-fight thoughts on Thurman Barrios, Frisket Quadras 2, and the rest of the weekend's action. Plus, we will look ahead to Daniel Jacobs' return to the ring. Uh, until then, be safe, be kind, and be well. <laughs>